fulfilling your covenant relationship with God. Because it's so easy for Satan to come and snare and snag us away. And that's not what we want. That's not what we want. So today, we're going to talk about recommitting. And this is going to be broken into two parts because I can't fit everything in there. I don't, I don't want to, you know, put you guys to sleep more, any more than I already do. So we're going to talk about recommitting to relationships, all right? We're going to look at part one today. Now, relationships are a lot like muscles. If they're not engaged, they get weaker. If your relationships, the relationships in your life are not worked out consistently, eventually they get weaker. You start to miss people. You start to miss events. You start to miss very important things in their lives. And you start to find yourself saying, man, I missed all these things. I, I feel, you know, so the, very, the same thing can happen with us in, in our relationship with God. When you don't spend time with God, that relationship's not going to get stronger. It will get weaker. And then you'll find yourself missing God. Like, man, I miss, I just feel like I, I need to be closer to God. Ask yourself, how consistent have you been in your times with God? So we're recommitting to working these out again. Now, if someone went through the New Testament and found over 59 one another passages, each other passages in, in the Bible. And a lot of these one another passages in the New Testament imply that we are rooted in relationships. And so there are a lot of commands uh, in these one another passages that God has put there to really help us figure out how to make the relationships work in the church. Amen? And I believe, and I realize that personally, some of these relationships have also helped my, some of these passages have also helped my relationships outside the church. And you'll see what I mean in just a second. So, for example, like, there are positive commands which really help us to understand how we should treat each other, right? Now, with children, as you're raising children, you don't want to all, you don't want to just give them a bunch of negative commands like, you know, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. You don't want your kids to grow up living by consequences alone. You want to inspire them with good commands, like they're good things that they can do. You know, I was so proud of my son Noah. Uh, yesterday, I coached his basketball team, and, you know, we were coming down to, the, like, the last, uh, the last few minutes of the game, and, and one kid from the other team, you know, Noah accidentally, he's playing defense, and he accidentally brushed against the kid's nose, and I'm standing right there. I watched the whole thing, and the kid lost his mind, and he started hitting that Noah. And first of all, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you start, you're going in to protect him. I'm like, my coach hat came off, fell off, and... And I'm like, yo, who's, whose kid is this? Because no one else is like, you know, little Johnny, don't do that. I mean, so the kid is just, and so I'm thinking, and I looked at how Noah reacted. And he was good. He just stepped back, and he, you know, he kind of, he was bigger than the kid. So I was really proud of him that he didn't, you know, he didn't retaliate with violence. And that just showed me that, man, it works. You know, they may not come across like they're paying attention, but you keep planting those seeds, eventually it does work. And I told him I was so proud of him and how he handled himself because it could have went a totally different way. And that, that one little kid at the end of the game went off on like at least four or five different. One of my kids came off, didn't want to get back on the floor. It got, almost got chaotic. He was just going off and yelling at everybody. And I'm thinking, man, what is going on here? And then finally, you know, he goes sits with his dad. And I'm like, dude. 
been sitting here the whole time. I thought you weren't in the gym. But they, you know, when we, these, these scriptures really help us teach how we are to treat other people. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another, build each other up just as in fact you are doing. That's a positive command right there, right? Encourage one another, build each other up. It's not as a result of a consequence. We're encouraging to do something, to become something. John 13, verse 34, new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There again, another positive reinforcement right there. Love one another. In Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. You know, just as children can't live in a world with their only negative consequences, neither can we. We want to be motivated. We want to be inspired. We want to be encouraged on how we are to treat other people. Um, some of the passages are also preventative commands. How not to treat each other. Romans 14, verse 13, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in their way. John 4, James 4, verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. James 5, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. You know, these are commands that will really help us, and I think sometimes get the loudest amens, because they're telling us what not to do to other people. And if you've been subject to some of this, and you're like, hey, amen, that's right, stop passing judgment on me, right? You, you heard what the scripture said. But look, let's be honest, though. How many times have you passed judgment on other people? So these are not just scriptures we're to share with others. We've got to practice them first. Apply them to our own heart. You know, have I been passing judgment? Just because someone hasn't brought it up to your attention doesn't mean you didn't do it. And then there's some scriptures that help us maintain these relationships. Because once you come up, you're part of the church... And you've been a part of the church for a while, and you know, initially, you come in and you love everybody. And that's because you hadn't been hurt yet. But you give it some time, and then you start to ask yourself, man, what, what did I sign up for here? These church folk. And so there's scriptures, and one another scriptures that help us maintain these relationships because they need work. You know, some of the best marriage advice I got came from my mom. She told me straight and direct, marriage takes work. She said, it takes work. You're going to have to work at it. And, you know, I was just happy to get, get married. I'm thinking, okay, amen, thank you, thank you. So I'm taking all the advice. And, and then after year one and two of my marriage, I'm like, well, wait a second. This takes some work right here. Like, I used to just drop her off in the front of her door when we were dating, and, and I had some time in between where I got to my apartment. I could pray and work things out in my heart. Now all I got to do is turn over, and she's right there. So I'm like, this takes work. I got to speed up the process here. So it's not that marriage is work. It's just that it takes work. It takes work. You got to maintain these relationships. Now, you may be thinking... You know, I'm good. I, I love everybody. Just give it some time. 
Just give it some time. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know, we need to accept. We, you don't always have to understand people. Just accept that they're different. Accept that they, they're, 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 their background is different. Their experience is different. Their taste is different. They're, they're, you know, they're, not everybody's going to like what you like. Not everyone thinks that what you think is fun is fun. But that's okay. You don't have to go to another church just because people don't like what you like. A part of what makes this glorifying to God is that we can accept each other. That's what the scripture says. It brings praise to God. Ephesians 4 verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. How many of us think that that's challenging? Completely. It didn't say partially or sometimes. It said completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. You know, if you're in a position of helping someone grow in their faith, then you know what this passage means all too well. You know, sometimes we need to be patient with each other. You know, we need to, we need to be humble and, and gentle towards one another. So that's a very important uh, directive right there. Ephesians 4 verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, here's the thing. If Paul is saying that we must forgive each other, and that's by implication saying that we've been sinning against each other, right? Because you wouldn't be commanded to do something if it wasn't happening. And so the fact that we are commanded and encouraged to forgive each other implies that eventually we're going to sin against each other. And so get your heart prepared right now. It's not that the whole church is bad. It's not even that your little group is all bad. It's just that we're sinful people by nature. By nature. We are going to hurt each other. We don't want to. I didn't get married and stood on, on April 8, 2000, stood before my wife and made a vow, I'm going to hurt you for every day of your life. No one will vow that. But in the back of your mind, you do know, man, I'm a sinful dude. And this woman looks gorgeous right now. And, and I want to keep her white as snow, Lord. But I know I'm going to do something that's going to upset or hurt her. And it didn't take long. Our honeymoon. I'm a selfish dude. On our honeymoon, I'm like, yo, I just want to take a nap. And my wife is like, hold up, wait a second. We're on our honeymoon. Let's go enjoy some. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Just our expectations alone. When someone doesn't meet your expectations, your feelings get hurt. Or if you perceive that someone is being treated better than you or has more, getting more attention than you, that, that can do something to you. And so we have to figure out how to forgive each other. And then there's some instructional commands on how we are to help each other. And here's where I think some of us have backed off. Some a little bit, some completely. There was an expectation of our church where we were expected to instruct one another. And this is what was expected of each other in the first century. They were expected 
to instruct one another, to help each other. In Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you, what? Teach and admonish one another. There was teaching and there was admonishing happening in the church. Why? Because it was needed. It was needed. In James 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and what? Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Prayer is powerful. The cycle of sin can be broken in our lives by having our brothers and sisters pray for us. You know, sometimes we're dealing with sin in our lives and nobody knows. And we have an army of prayer warriors surrounding us who will pray for you. If people love you, they will pray for you. And not only that, but they'll ask you, how's it going? Because they want to see you be successful just as much as you do. In Romans 15, verse 14, you are filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You are competent to instruct one another. You know, Paul right here is basically telling the church, you can do this. You guys can do this. All right? You can instruct one another. You don't have to have a licensed therapist in every situation. That's not necessary. Now, there will be situations where that may be needed, where someone may be needed, uh, they may need a referral. You may need to be encouraged to, hey, you know, this is way outside of my league right here. Maybe you need to see someone who's a little more professional, who's more trained in this situation. But you know what? We used to catch a lot of that stuff early on, though. Like, we would catch a lot of things at the temptation and at the early stages, because we were in each other's lives, we were opening the Bible, we were talking things out, we were confessing more consistently. And so when things came up, we're like, oh, let's deal with that right now before it gets bigger. But what's happened is now, you know, my feeling is that a lot of us are in crises because we're not catching things early on anymore. And when you don't catch things early on, it becomes Every situation is now needing a specialist, and everything becomes a crisis because it hadn't been caught early on at the beginning. And so when you don't catch things, when you're not being preventative, then this is what happens. You need to work through things a lot longer than you would have had to had we had caught it at the initial onset of that sin. When we back off, opening the Bible and teaching and admonishing, praying together, instructing one another, then all you're going to need is a specialist. And that doesn't need to be the case. We have to commit, recommit to instructing one another again. Sitting down, Bibles open, eye to eye. Let's talk this out. How's it been going in your purity? How did it go with your marriage? How did that talk go with your wife? How did that talk go with your husband? How did your kids feel when you said that? I mean, really helping each other out, instructing each other. We see things all the time. You know, I thank God that for the people who felt comfortable and encouraged enough to talk to my wife and I about things they saw in our children. And we know that that's not always easy. To bring up something you see, first of all, to see in the, in, in the adult, but then when you see something in the children, you're like, how do I bring this up? 
truth is, you just bring it up. You just got to say something. We're, we're a village here. We're a family. We're a community. We have to take care of each other. You see my kids running out playing in the street. Don't be like, oh, all right, well, God, God, put it on James's heart. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will enlighten Zalika and give her foresight into the situation. No! Siani, what you doing, girl? Come up, Noah, what? come on over here. James, I, Noah was playing in the street. I mean, if you love me, don't just love me. Love my kids as well. That's an extension of me. That's what David did with Jonathan. Well, I don't want to snitch on nobody. I'm still looking that up in the scriptures. Y'all pray for me. Help me find that. I'm still, that wasn't among the one another's. Maybe that was in a different translation or something. Do not snitch on each other. I believe that all these passages can help us rebuild these relationships, strengthening the ones that we have if we obey them. If we put them into practice, God gave them to us to help us build each other up. Build each other up to strengthen one another. So my question is, if someone came to Harlem and asked, well, how are the one another relationships going in the church? I'm thinking it depends on who you ask. And it also depends on your personality type. If you're an initiator, you might be thinking, oh, everything is great, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm just, I seek people out, and, you know, I, I love building relationships. I don't let anybody go. I'm, I'm like, because you're motivated. You know, you, you, might, you might be doing okay. You might be like, look, you know, I'm, I like to make things happen. I like to see people. I love being around people. But is that really a covenant relationship? Do you feel like those relationships are calling you higher? Because just because you're an initiator, you can also be very comfortable in the relationships you have. So we have to ask ourselves, am I growing in this relationship or do I need to initiate another one that can help me grow in my faith? Or you may be the loner. You may be the person and you're thinking, hey, I'm doing okay as well. Because I get to spend as much time as I want with my most famous person, with the, my favorite person, me. And you really could be okay. Just being off, doing your own thing, hanging out with your favorite person. And maybe in the past, people were all up in your business. And you're okay now with people not being all up in your business. And so you may be absolutely fine. But that's not a covenant relationship. So the question is, how do we connect in the church? How do we ensure that everyone has healthy, growing relationships? How do we get a bunch of disciples, a bunch of people who are not feeling connected to connect? Well, we've tried different things. We tried discipleship groups where we get people together, maybe a few people together, and they would meet weekly started off as a good idea, has some value. There was some levels of accountability there. But at the end of the day, it came down to how it functioned and the frequency of those meetings and who was leading the group. Because sometimes if you have someone who has a dominant 
personality, they can take over a whole group. And you may not get a word in edgewise. And so every time your group meets, that one person takes up everybody's time, takes in all the air in the room, and before you'd realize, okay, well, that's our time, hopefully somebody else will get a chance to talk next time. But then what that does is it affects the attendance. Because now people are like, why should I come if I'm not going to get a chance to talk? Why should I open up if this person is going to get all the air in the room? And so I'm not coming to the group. And it's not that they start off with a bad heart. It's that they're really rationalizing and thinking, and they have valid reason for not coming. And so in their mind, they're thinking, well, why should I come to just sit and listen to you talk? Or why should I come and just have you tell me what to do? And you're not opening up yourself. What's going on with you, D group leader? How are you doing? And so people are finding many different reasons for why they don't want to participate. And then what ends up happening, meeting three, you're by yourself wondering how come nobody came to D group. So that was one option. We also did one another relationships. Some people call it mentoring. Some people call it training, whatever you want to call it. Let's call it something. We had older people getting with the younger people. And that had its strengths and that had its weaknesses as well. But we also realized that there was a time in a church where it was mandated that everybody got with someone and that person was chosen for you. And you didn't really have a lot of say in that. And you was just told, trust God. And if it worked, you were like, look at God. If it didn't work, you blamed God, right? I mean, so it had its strengths. And it had its weaknesses. But people were just expected to fall in line. This is how we're going to do it. And I'll be honest, I'm going to confess, as a leader, it was a lot easier to do it that way. And the reason why is because when you get a whole bunch of opinions, you get nothing done. It's a lot easier to just say, do this and do that. It's easy. But it's not the most effective. Because we're adults. And you should have say in who influences you spiritually. And so if, if somebody you know is not doing well spiritually and he's assigned to be over you, you're like, man, do James love me? Does, I mean, do they care if I make it? Do they even know this guy? He, told me, he just told me last week he doesn't read the Bible for like a month. And now he's supposed to help me grow in the Lord. So we can debate on strengths, the failings, and all these approaches. But I think we can def definitely justify that discipling relationships are biblical. These covenant relationships are biblical. They are biblically rooted. But how to implement them remains a debatable issue. And so we're going to figure this out together. Now, discipling relationships, the hope is that they become covenant relationships where we agree with one another that we are going to commit to being in a godly relationship with each other. And it has to be intentional. It can't just happen. We know that chaos is created by things that just happen. There's got to be some order. God is a God of order, not chaos. So there has to be some order in this. And it has to be based on a genuine concern for each other because if we don't really care about each other, then we're not going to make it happen. 
Jonathan initiated with David because he loved him as himself. Now, you're probably going to be asked to be in at least two relationships, one in which you're doing the initiating, and in some way you're going to be calling someone higher, and then someone's going to be calling you higher. And so we want to just make sure everybody is in a relationship where God is helping you grow. Now, I have to be honest. I am alarmed at how many people in our fellowship excuse themselves from not helping anyone. At least one person. Now, we took a discipling survey about two months ago, back in December, and we asked a question. One of the questions was, are you helping someone? And it was almost split, 50-50 down the church, for those who took the, the survey, right? Half are helping half or not. Now, what I also found interesting is that over three-thirds or two-thirds feel competent to help somebody. So more than half the church feel like I can help somebody. I do feel like I can help someone. And we want to work on that 16% because I still believe that even in the 16%, had they had started helping someone, they'd feel more confident. So we want to help that number. So what's wrong with the picture here? If half of us are helping, half of us are not, but then more than half of us feel like we can help, something's wrong. That means that a lot of us feel like we can do something, but we're just not doing it. So we got to fix that. Because my thing is this. If you have been in the fellowship for more than 20 years, you can help somebody. You have so much to offer. You have a lot to offer. You have a lot to give to someone. Someone will value off of your wisdom, your experience, your knowledge, your love, your compassion. You have seen the church go through ups and downs and ups and downs. You can offer some great insight, some great help if you're willing to help at least one person. At least one person. You know, when doctors... Before they become official doctors, they have to take what's called the Hippocratic Oath, where they vow to help everyone that comes in their way. When we say Jesus is Lord, it's almost like taking a Hippocratic Oath. I vow to be like Jesus in every relationship that I have, which means that I'm going to love everybody just as Jesus did. We took an oath to God Almighty, that that's what we would do. And so the Bible calls you to love. It calls you to serve. It calls you to forgive. It calls you to strengthen others. We're just saying at least one. Now, I know we all got a lot going on. We're going to look at some reasons too. I know we got a lot going on. But you can help at least one person. You can help at least one person. You know, this is not disciple. This is, that's, that's not a covenant relationship. Now, there are times where you need to text somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm good. Brother texted me last night, hey, bro, I was just thinking about you, how you doing? He was at work. Maybe you can't talk, but God, the Spirit put somebody in your heart or your mind? Just send him a little text message. I text my guys all the time during the day because I know they're at work. 
Okay, I don't want them getting in trouble, picking up, calling them. How can you even pick up my phone call? That works. There is a time for that. But that can't be the brunt of our relationship. There's got to be some FaceTime. There's got to be some eyeballs locking, some prayer time. There's got to be that. Otherwise, this is what it ends up being. And that's not what we want. That's not a covenant relationship. No, covenant relationships, I think some of us honestly, if we really think deeply and if we're honest with ourselves, we would be like, Jane, can you just change it to convenient relationships? Because I'm in a convenient relationship right now, and I'm afraid that what you're proposing is going to interrupt that convenient. They live down the street. They're right there. It's easy to get to. We've got a lot of things in common. It's convenient. But a convenient relationship is not a covenant relationship. Jonathan did not reach out to David because it was convenient. We want covenant relationships. We want to make a commitment that, you know what? Through thick and thin, I'm here for you. David and Jonathan entered this relationship not knowing what was going to happen. They didn't know what was, what was going to happen in their relationship, but they were bound to each other. They were bound to one another. So what keeps us disconnected? What are the voids that need to be overcome in our lives? Now, I want to say there are some legitimate reasons, legitimate things, great things that, you know, that, that do come up and can disrupt our times together, Right? You know, some of our reasons are, look, I'm just flat busy. I got a lot going on, and maybe you're going to school, and you got a full-time job, and you got kids, and you got a lot going on, and you really are busy, right? You know, I got to make money. I'm behind in my bills, so I got to take on extra hours at work. Uh, you know, these are, you know, so I, I, I want to be there, but, you know, I'm, I'm, so, you know, there was a time in my family I was the only breadwinner, and, 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 and I had to work. There are times that that does happen. That's true. Family, family and kids, I, you know, a lot of us like to use this as an excuse. Well, I can't come because the kids are sick. All right, well, just take care of them. Do what you got to do. Don't bring them here. Don't infect everybody else's kids, right? But sometimes when we're at home, we're not really taking care of them. It doesn't take two parents to stay at home to take care of one kid. Does it? I mean, my wife is like, I'm good. Go to church. I'm like, you sure? Because you might, you, like, you coming down with something. Like, no, I'm all right. You know, just take great notes and, and, and you know, I go to church. Practice. You know, one of the things that I had to make sure, you know, I signed up for my son's basketball team. I was like, look, I can't do Sundays. I can't do Wednesdays. Saturdays work. I, I, I can do that. But, I can't use that as an excuse to not invest in these relationships. And it's so easy to become an excuse because our kids are involved in a lot of things and their friends are involved in a lot of things. And because we're invested in our children, our children can pull us along with them. And they can take us out of the relationships that they will eventually benefit from if we're committed to. And so we have to make we have to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, you can do this, you can do this, but we can't go here, we can't cross this line right here. Because then that affects our 
godly relationships. And we just can't do that. You know, bro, I'm working now. I'm trying to, you know, get in shape. So, I mean, let's not even go there. Midweek, sometimes, sometimes we even blame the church for not helping us be committed to relationships in the church. I've used this as I just want to, I just want to say, guys, I've made a lot of these excuses. So this, I'm just sitting there thinking what excuses you made. These are excuses that I've made myself, all right? If we didn't have so many meetings, then maybe I'd be more committed to coming to church. I remember there was a time where I was like, yo, I'm coming from work. I got to go to Bible talk. Then after that, it got midweek, and I'm just thinking, man, I got to teach, and then, and then Sunday, we got to do it all over again. And your heart starts feeling some things, right? And that's the reason I use, you know, I'm like, look, man, if the church didn't have so much stuff going on, maybe I could help somebody out. Netflix, Facebook, binge watching the season six of The Walking Dead. I mean, it's like you can use those 12 hours to get with somebody. I can tell you right now, I blow through at least a good hour or two without blinking, just going through YouTube. You go on YouTube and you're looking for one thing, how to fix something, the next thing you see all those little channels on the side, it's like, ooh, a shark attack. And then you click on that, and next thing you know, you're looking at this shark attack, and it's, oh, wow, a whole bunch of them. And you just get totally distracted, and an hour just blown by. And you just spent literally an hour on YouTube just watching little 30-second videos. Right? This one I have to honestly say, I actually got advice about. And I feel, I feel ashamed even, even admitting it. But I came across some basketball tickets. And this is back when Akeem Olajuwon was playing on the Houston Rockets, and Patrick Ewing was playing. And someone gave me two tickets to the game, and it was Tuesday night. This is back when I was downtown, camping, and ministry. Midweek service was on Tuesday night. And the brother said, hey, I can't use these tickets. I'm like, well, don't we go to the same church on the same house? Why are you giving them to me? Like, he wanted to be the spiritual one, but here you go, bro, to be able to say, so, so then I'm like, man, this, I mean, what's the chances that I, I get to see? I mean, these are, I'm looking at the price of these expensive tickets. His brother was a cop. He just gave me, you know, he came across tickets all the time. He gave it to him. He knew I loved the Knicks. He was like, yeah, man, you know, I don't want to go, but here you go. And I'm thinking, and I actually went to get advice about it. Right? Because I want to be spiritual. And I was secretly hoping in my heart that the brother would say, bro, go to the game. You deserve it. And what he did, what do you think you should do? I'm like, how are you going to do that to me, man? You're supposed to tell me what to do. That's your role. You were assigned to me to tell me what to do. He said... What do you think you should do? He put the ball right back in my court. Gave a nice little chest pass, a little bounce pass. Passed it right back to me. What do you think you should do? I'm like, amen. 
I gave him to my brother. He was studying the Bible at the time, so I probably didn't help him either. <laughs> but we wrestle with these things. Now, what are the real issues, right? These are some reasons, and some of these reasons, look, they're not all evil in and of themselves. If you got time and you want to binge watch on, on Netflix, you do it. You know, if you got that time and you got to slide it, but make sure you, you know, you're not neglecting your relationships. But what are the real issues? I think some of the real issues of past hurts are keeping us from being connected. We've been hurt in the past, and we're afraid to reinvest. Fear of conflict. You know, we're passive in these relationships, so we fear conflict. We don't like how things were pointed out or brought up, but when we did bring up something, that person's response was not favorable, and so, you know what, I don't want to go through that again. I built up the courage to point something out. They were arrogant. They were, dis they were, they were, they were defensive. I don't want to go through that again. And that's part of the real issue why some of us are not connected in relationships. Hard-hearted. We've been loners for so long that that part of relationship, part of our heart has gotten so hard, we really don't see the need for anybody in our life. Indifference. You know, some people just don't care. Just, just, you know, I got my friends. They don't go to this church, but I got my friends. I talk to them. So, I mean, there's a lot of people here. They don't need me. There's a criticalness. I don't like how things are done. So I'm just buying my time. I'm just waiting out. Had they asked my opinion, then, and we can get critical. And look, I've been there. This is what I'm saying. I've been there. Because I have a different, I've had a nice vantage point. From inside the ministry, there was a time I was outside the ministry. And when you come outside the ministry, you see all the things that the other person is not doing right. And in my heart, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, yeah, I would have done that different. I wouldn't have said that. You can get critical. Lack of openness. We just don't want people all up in our business. At least that's the mentality. The attitude is I don't want people in my business. Thing is, you are someone's business. Remember last week, we talked about Cain when God went to Cain and said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? And you look through the scriptures, and the scriptures will tell you, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. So you are our business. You are our business. What else is hindering us? You know, I have to, I have to honestly admit, I took a long, a long, hard look at this. I was even tempted to change it to something else. But I think for me, my number one issue is just good old-fashioned selfishness. I just don't want to do it. I mean, there were times where I remember looking at my phone, and I did not answer because I just didn't want to talk to the person. No excuse. I wasn't busy. I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. And, and I think, you know, sometimes... That's just what it really is. We just don't want to do it. You try to spir spiritualize it, put a spin on it, just look, you know, you do better when you just own it. And it took me a while to really admit there were times when I could have done something and I didn't do it, and it wasn't because of the reason that I thought that I was not doing it. 
It was because I just didn't want to do it. Plain and simple. And selfishness, you know, we got to be able to admit that. What if we started treating selfishness like any other addictive behavior? You know, we have a great chemical recovery ministry. And our chemical recovery ministry, part of what helps people through their, their addiction is that they encourage people to talk and first listen, right? But then to get in touch with how deep your addiction is, you have to journal. You write down how your addiction has impacted your life and those around you. And it's been very effective over the years. We've done some tweaking over the years, but it's been very effective to put down, to be able to see and visualize and verbalize what your addiction, the damage it's caused in the relationships around you. What if we treated selfishness like that? What if we just stopped and for a second wrote down and journaled the impact that our selfishness has had on our relationships? I mean, think about that, right? When I think about selfishness as an addiction, there are times where I've had some great periods of putting God first and putting others first and and loving others as myself. But then there have been times of relapse. There have been days where I've been totally consumed with James. So there have been times where I'm doing great, and then there are times where I'm not doing great. But, you know, we have to look at it as, well, man, how, how am I doing in this area? How has it impacted the relationships around me? I mean, think about how has relation, selfishness affected your relationships? How has it negatively impacted your life in the following ways? And you write it down. My selfishness has negatively impacted my personal righteousness in the following ways. It's negatively impacted my family in the following ways. And you can go down the list and just write specifically how has it impacted, negatively impacted the relationships in your life. And it will help you get more in touch with how selfishness can ruin relationships. If you want to repent, if you want to change, then you have to realize the damage that it's done. And then you got to ask yourself, all right, since my selfishness has is, is, is gone unchecked, did I, who am I actually following? Who, what example am I following here? Because we're not calling the church back to imitate any one man or woman. We're calling the church to imitate Jesus. So you got to ask yourself, who are you following? Who are you following? Because on any given Sunday, you can look at somebody and think, well, hey, I mean, he's not opening his Bible, so should I open my Bible? Or, you know, he can fall asleep in service and ain't nobody say nothing to him. Oh, man, he comes late. They come to church late every week. Nobody said any. I don't see anybody talking to them. So, hey, in our nature, we can gravitate to that. But we got to go back to who are we called to follow? We are called to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Because on any given day, we can be bad examples for one another. And so we need to imitate the Jesus in each other. But we need to ultimately hold Jesus high on that standard of who we are called to follow. 
Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, when I think about the life of Jesus and I look at the Gospels, I'm amazed that it never showed how Jesus struggled with his purity. But I'm even more blown away by how there was not one example of Jesus giving into selfishness. Because that really strikes a chord with me. I can tell there have been times where I've been selfish. There have been times on my wedding week, one of the things I feared the most was that, man, Zalika's going to really see how selfish a man I am. And is she going to want to stay married to me? That was my biggest concern. Because I know how selfish I am. And so when we think about who we're following, we've got to look at Jesus. Jesus was not selfish. There's no selfish ambition in Jesus. In Philippians 2 verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave. Some people ask me often, James, I want to go into ministry. I want to go into leadership. You know, and my first question to them is, who are you helping? Who are you serving? Because a leader is a servant. If you're not serving anybody and you want to be in leadership, you need to really check your heart. Because then that's not coming from the motivation is not coming from the right place. And there's a strong possibility that you could just want to be over people rather than serving people. Jesus served people. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He made himself nothing. The king of the universe humbled himself, became nothing. He became like a slave. So we want to lead and not serve. You got to really check your heart. Of all the things Jesus did on earth, he was selfless. He was selfless. And so by Jesus' example, you know, we look at there's an action and then there's a reaction. The action is what Jesus had done for us. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's the action. This is what Jesus did for us. 1 John 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent the Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what should the reaction be? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love our brothers, one another. This is what makes it work. Being connected to Jesus first, and then that trickles down and passes through our our other relationships. Reaction, action, reaction. Action, God's done the biggest part. Jesus did most of it right here. You look at it. Jesus did the big part. We may have offered up a few prayers or something. That's all, that's you know, we read our Bibles sometimes, you know, but other than that, Jesus did most of the work. That's the action. The reaction is now that we love each other the way Jesus loved us. So ask yourself this question. How much did Jesus love you? How has your life benefited from his love? That's how we need to be with each other. Selfless, giving, initiating, taking what we've been given and giving to others. If we do that, our relationships will be stronger and we will have the covenant relationships we desire. This covenant relationship all started with God. It started with Jesus. First John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because what? He first loved us. This is how you and I are able to be in these relationships. This is how God is able to take the church to places where we could not take it on our own. Because he loves us. He initiated with us. And as a result, we get to love each other. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk about how to implement these relationships practically here in Harlem. To God be the glory.